Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 this morning. Uh, does anybody remember what lesson series we started last week? Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah. the our, uh, Why we believe what we believe about the Holy Spirit. We've talked about God the Father. We just finished talking about uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, uh, on Easter Sunday. And last week we started uh, our series on the Holy Spirit, which is the third part of the Holy Trinity. And we talked about what Jesus taught us about the Holy Spirit, uh, how it's a comforter, how it's the spirit of truth. We talked about the moment that believers first received the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Bible says that Jesus breathed on them and they received the Holy Ghost, but the power of the Holy Ghost hadn't quite been activated yet. Anybody remember what I compared it to last week? That's a smaller detail. I imagine it's probably more difficult to remember, but anybody happen to remember? It was a credit card. Remember? It was like when you receive your new debit card in the mail. Have you ever done that thing where you receive the new – I'm sorry. Can you turn your phone around or something? I'm seeing me, and it's like I'm in the twilight zone. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but it was like, you know, have you ever done that thing where you get the credit card, the new debit card in the mail, and you just peel it off the paper? You take the, the sort of sticky part off the back, and you just stick it in your wallet and go? And then you try to use it, and it's not working. And then you remember, I forgot to call and have it activated, right? So you have the credit card. You have the power of that credit card in your wallet, but it's not activated until you have it turned on, right? And the same thing was true uh, during that 40-day period between when Jesus resurrected and when he ascended up into heaven, Right? They had the Holy Spirit, but the power of the Holy Spirit hadn't been activated in them yet. So today, what we're going to talk about is the moment that power was activated. And that's what takes place in Acts chapter 2. Uh, so let's begin reading in verse 1. Uh, today we're talking about the filling of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, yeah. Now we're going to be covering the first six verses this morning. It says in verse 1, When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one, they were all with one accord in one place. So that does actually tell us a lot there. We're going to unpack the day of Pentecost. Uh, probably a lot of you don't know what Pentecost is. In the Old Testament, there were several what they called feast days. These weren't just days to go in and eat a lot of food. These were like religious ceremonies, uh, right? These were things that would come together for the purpose of uh, sort of worshiping God and different aspects of him. And Pentecost was one of those days, the days of Pentecost. Who can think of another feast day in the Bible? The Passover. Yeah. Exactly. The Passover is another one. And if you begin to study those feast days, we're going to do this one of these days because there's a lot of really good stuff in there because they each parallel something in the New Testament. Right. Like Passover pictures what? Um, the Passover lamb. 
Christ. Christ, right. At what particular point? Dying for our sins. Right, on the cross. <clears throat> dying for our sins, exactly. And so each of those Old Testament feasts pictures something in the New Testament that's going to happen. Right? And so the Feast of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, that was another such thing. It pictured something that was going to take place in the New Testament that we're talking about today. And it says the day was fully come because these days, they, they last several days. The, the, the feast days, they last sometimes a week, sometimes two. But there's always the one big day, right? There's like you do things in preparation for it, and then there's the big event of. Kind of like with Passover. Remember at the story of Jesus um, preparing for the Passover feast, there were several days of preparation be- beforehand. Right. That was why they had to get him off the cross and get him buried really quickly because the big feast day was coming up. Right. And they weren't allowed to do that on the big feast day. Uh, So the same thing is true about the day of Pentecost. And when it says the day of Pentecost was fully come, that means it's the big day. All the days of preparation have passed and it is the day of Pentecost. It says they were all within one accord or with one accord. So to be in one accord means to be in harmony of minds. And I love that phrase. That's a fantastic phrase, isn't it? A harmony of minds. Does anybody know what a harmony is? If I say the word harmony, what pops into your head? People harmonizing. Music. Yeah, people harmonizing. Exactly. When you have different parts to a song and you have maybe a quartet or a trio and you have different people singing different parts. Like, for example, you might have a tenor. Uh, that's what I sing. I sing tenor 12 miles down the road. Um, <laughs> you might have a solo that you can't hear me. Uh, you know, just different parts of music that you play. They're each unique and they're each individual. I love hearing the high notes of a tenor. You know, when somebody just really gets into that song and they just hit those really powerful high notes. You know, that's always fun to listen to, especially when it's a good singer. You don't want to hear, uh, you know, Sister Susie Stevens, who thinks that she can sing Squawk Like a Duck, hitting those high notes, do you? But when it's a really good singer and they're hitting those high notes really well, oh, that's fun to listen to. Uh, Also, a bass, you know, that those low notes, it's a really good bass singer hits those really deep low notes that I could never reach. That's fun to listen to also. I remember there used to be a couple of musical families that would come to uh, Bible Baptist, the the Hinkle family, probably a couple of you remember. And uh, they would come in and they had this one guy who, man, he could, he could sing deep down into his toes, man. He, he could really get down there. That was always really fun to listen to also. You know, what's funny to me is these guys can sing the same song, the same notes at the same time, but they're each doing it in their own unique way. You know, they're hitting those same notes, but they're hitting them differently. That's what harmony is. Now, if you had four tenors standing up here, that wouldn't be anything special, right? But if you have people singing different parts within the same note, that really blends together to make something beautiful. Like if I'm playing the piano and I play a chord, what is a chord? A chord is a group of notes, right? I hit three keys at the same time on the piano and that's a chord. They blend together. 
So when we're talking about, when I'm finally getting back on the point, when we're talking about a harmony of the minds, it's the same kind of thing. Uh, when we come you know, to church, when we come to worship the Lord, we approach the same God, we approach the same truth, the same Bible, we all approach the same thing, like you approach the same note in a song, but we're all made to be unique, right? So I see it from a perspective, somebody else wouldn't. I got to tell you that there have been some times working in the ministry, I have had the opportunity to talk to people who read the Bible so differently than me. And that's always very cool to me. I met one time, this was very fun. Uh, I met one time a detective. There's like this older guy who had been in the force for a long time and he worked as a detective. And that affected the way he read his Bible. Right? Like the way he read people, you know, because when you've been in that line of work for a long time, you have a tendency to see the flaws in people that nobody wants you to see, you know? And so it sort of influenced the way he read the Bible. So when the Bible would talk about a specific character or character traits or something like that, he would read those things way differently than I would have. And it was really fun to talk to him uh, about that. Uh, I've had the opportunity to talk to um, like doctors, you know, physicians and stuff that believe in the Bible. And the way they read the Bible is also very different. Uh, if you've ever heard some of the uh, – we didn't go over it this year, but sometimes I'll read some of the um, medical details about what happened to the body of Christ while he was on the cross. And just to read into those things as you're reading the Bible, it changes the way you read it entirely. So we all are coming to the same God. We're coming to the same Bible, but we're coming at it in different harmonies. It's the same truth. We're all here, but we're all very different people. Some of us like, uh, you know, I like uh, spy thrillers. Uh, some of you might like mystery. Some of you might like action. Some of you like, might like uh, romance. Some of you might like westerns. Some of you might like, uh, I don't know, any kind of thing. But we all come together to make one body. We sort of harmonize. That's what it means to be in one accord. And I think that there's a, a misunderstanding when it when we talk about being in one accord, when it comes to a lot of different kinds of churches, because they want everybody to dress in the same suit, right? Wear the same colored shirt. They want everybody. I mean, literally there are some, uh, like Bible colleges you go to, if you're not wearing a white shirt, you're not allowed to enter the building. Like they want everybody to use the same kind of words. If the words that you use now, profanities obviously are a sin and we shouldn't talk like that at all. But if you use words that are different than what most churches speak, which some of us call Christianese, you get some funny looks. You know, you don't talk like us. That's weird. You know, they want everybody to sound the same, to look the same, to do all the same things, drink the same kind of coffee from the same kind of cup. I remember uh, at one church I worked at, uh, the pastor told me, if you're going to work in this church, you got to drink your coffee black. I still hope to this day he was kidding. But uh, it was hard to tell with this guy. In any case, I drank my coffee black, so I guess he wasn't kidding, you know. Um, but it's, it's one of those things where that's what they think it means to be in one accord. You do all the same things in all the same way, but that's not harmony. That's all four tenors. 
right? That's what we were talking about a second ago. Four tenors, that's not great music. But if you get four different parts singing that same song, we're coming to the same God, but in our own unique way, we're coming to the same truth. The truth doesn't change. The Lord doesn't change. The church doesn't change. But we get to retain our individuality. We get to retain the personality that God gave us. That's harmony. That's an accord. That's one accord. So they were all come with one accord. And then it says in one place. Right? And this is something that needs to be addressed because it is here in Scripture. It is necessary for every Christian to attend the meeting of their local church. This is, first of all, in order to grow in your faith. Uh, and you might say, I can grow in my faith without being a part of a church. And you can to a certain degree. But you need a church. You need preaching. You need to hear the preaching of the Word of God. You need to hear the singing and be involved in the singing of the hymns and, and be here to absorb it all. And you'd say, well, I can watch online anytime I want to. And that's true, and that's a fine thing, and that's why it's there. But it's different to be here. right? Those that are here can testify it is different. right? Because otherwise, everybody who was here would just stay at home in their PJs and watch from their phones. Right. But they want to be here. They got up, they got dressed, they got ready and they showed up to be here in person. Some of them, after having, you know, been out very late last night, exhausted, some very sick this week, you know, both of which could have said, not going to make it this week, not going to make it this morning, not feeling it. And you know what I would have said? I would have said, that's fine. Hope you feel better next week. But you know why they're here? Because they wanted to be. I know Sylvia wasn't able to be here last week. Sylvia and David either won. And, and I know that they wanted to be here. And that means something. You know, that's it because it's special, because it's different to watch it on your phone as opposed to physically be there. It's the same kind of difference as to listening to... Uh, Garth Brooks sing a song like The Change is one of my favorites that he does, uh, as opposed to being at a live concert and hearing him. I remember uh, I had a friend, I'm going to call him out on name, uh, John Rusnick, used to call him Little John. And uh, I remember he used to go to the, the George Strait concerts when he was in town. And he was a big George Strait fan. And I guarantee you, if he was here, he'd tell you the same thing. It's one thing to listen to the George Strait Greatest Hit CD in your car, and it's completely different to be there in person hearing the man sing for him, for yourself. You know, that's the same kind of difference here. You know, it's one thing to listen to a sermon while you're, like, doing housework or while you're on your break at work or, you know, something like that. And it's an entirely different thing to be here in person and see it for yourself. So they were in one place, and that sort of a thing helps you grow your faith in a way you can't do over the internet on Facebook Live. Although I am grateful that we have this tool that can help people. It growing your faith, but it also grows you in the knowledge of the Lord and His Word. And without a church, there's only so far you can go by yourself. And I've had this argument with people. I used to deliver pizzas uh, for Mr. Jim's. This was, gosh, how old am I now? So this was probably 15 years ago, something like that, maybe more. 
And uh, I was a guy I was working with there, and we got to talking about things. And he got to talking to me about he doesn't go to church, and he doesn't believe you need to go to church. And we were talking about it. I always try to be respectful toward people. I try not to attack somebody else's beliefs. But we kind of got to talking about it, and I respectfully told him what I believed. And he said, well, I don't need a Bible teacher. I've got the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells me the Holy Spirit will give me everything I need. He started lifting, listing off the fruits of the Spirit. And I told him, I said, well, that's all well, great, and fine. But you go back and you read in the book of Acts where the apostle Paul got saved. And what was the first thing God told him to do? Go to church. And you stay in that church and you learn from that church until you're ready to start your missionary journeys. But even God wanted his people to go to church and learn how to be the kind of person God saved us to be. Right? And so you can grow to a certain point without a church, but there's only so much you can do. We all need to be in this one place. That's what church is. It's the gathering place for God's people. We all come together to this one place for the purpose of Jesus Christ. Uh, 1 Timothy 3.15 says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Notice this, the pillar and ground of truth. Right? So how can you claim to attain to all that God wants you to reach without ever stepping foot in the pillar and ground of truth that he claimed it was? Right? We need the church. If you need more, 2 Corinthians 12, 18 says, But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. So, and let me tell you something else that a lot of other churches won't tell you. Uh, it's also important to know that you don't only go to church because you need church. You go to church because church needs you. Right? I couldn't do this without each and every one of the people in this room right here today. You're all vital to this ministry. God has you set in this body of believers as it pleases him. Doing the things that he wants you to do that are incredibly necessary. Believe me, I understand how it can feel sometimes to go to all the work to prepare something that seems like it's not very important. Uh, I remember running a, a junior church for a Hickory Creek a Baptist Church. When me and Amanda first got there, there were two children, and that was it. Two kids going to that church, and that's all there was. And by the time me and Amanda were able to really get to know the kids in that area, and we were able to grow it up, uh, and there was more than that. But let me tell you, there were some weeks that being in a room with two kids felt like, do I really need to go to all this trouble? You know, because I prepared lessons as though I was teaching whether it was two or 200. You know, I prepared a, a program for an hour of activities and things for those two kids like there was two or 20. It didn't matter. 20 or 200. didn't matter. Uh, and some weeks that's tough to do because it's like, is it really necessary? There's only going to be two. But let me tell you something. Um, it's like, have you ever seen that movie Facing the Giants? There's a line in there that holds very true to the work of God. Um, two farmers go out. And pray for rain. Right? That's what it says in the movie. Uh, two farmers go out and pray for rain, but only one farmer goes out and prepares his fields to receive rain. Right? And then it says, 
which one do you think received the ring? The answer, obviously, is the one who prepared his fields to receive it, right? And then the question becomes, which one are you? Right. So we do these things and we, we do the work because it's not about the results and it's not about the numbers. It's about the Lord. And we put in the effort and we put in our full work because we're seeking not to please uh, a group of people or to be successful, but because we're seeking to please God with our efforts. Right. It's not that you need church only because you do need church, but it's also that the church needs you. And God has you set in the church as it pleases him. So they were all with one accord in one place. These are the, these are the, the things that they did in order to receive the Holy Spirit for the first time ever. Right? These were the things that they were doing that allowed the Holy Spirit to not just come into them, but to do all the other things we're going to read about that they were filled and used by the Lord. There, it says in verse 2, Suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Uh, there came a sound from heaven. Notice from which direction the sound was coming. What did it say? A sound from where? Heaven. Heaven. A sound from heaven. Anything that comes from heaven is something that is full of truth, full of light, and full of righteousness. If it fills you with doubt, or darkness, or selfish thoughts, then it is not from heaven. 3 John 1.11 says, Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. And you would think that'd be a pretty simple thing to, to do, right? Don't do bad things, do good things. But when you get out there in the nitty gritty of it, it's a tough thing to do sometimes. When you get out there and people are cheating you and doing you wrong and taking credit for your work and, and stealing stuff out from under your nose and getting away with it, it becomes very difficult to continue to do that which is good. When you go out there and life sort of beats you up and things continue to blow up in your face, it becomes very tempting to cut corners. Thank you. It becomes very tempting to want to do things the wrong way because everybody else seems to be getting away with it. Right? We need to stay focused on doing that which is right. Uh, John chapter 8 uh, says, Why do ye not understand my speech, even because ye cannot hear my word? This is Jesus speaking to uh, the Pharisees. The Pharisees, for those of you who don't know, are the super spiritual religious group, right? They're the ones that behaved as though they were more spiritual than everybody else. You know, they would stand uh, dressed in their finest robes, uh, not during uh, Sabbath day only, but every day of the week. And they would stand on the street corners and pray out loud in the street corners so that everybody could see how pious and religious they were. They were the ones who brought their money in in coins so they could drop them from very high up and everybody could see and hear it tinkle into the, uh, into the offering plate. 
And he says, ye are of your father, the devil. And the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Right? That was true of the Pharisees, but let me tell you something else. It's true of everybody. We all have that sin nature inside of us. And we ought to be cautious not to have that Pharisee attitude, to think that we have ascended beyond uh, the ability to lie or, or the, the temptation to be dishonest. Right? We all have that within us. We all still have a sin nature we struggle against. And we ought to be cautious of this because we have a tendency to toddle after those things that the devil tempts us with. He's a liar. He's the father of it. You know, the Bible says, uh, he abides not in truth when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. And then Jesus says, because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Right? For you to choose not to believe something has to be stronger than just, I don't like it. Right? If you're going to choose not to believe something, you've got to have a better reason than that. You can't just say, well, I don't like that. I don't believe that. Just because you don't like it doesn't mean you shouldn't believe it. Right? If it's true, we ought to believe it. If something weren't true, then that's why you believe it. But if we're learning things that are true, but we don't like that it's true, we can't just toss it aside. I'll give you an example. I was uh, working vacation Bible school one time. I had a little boy. We'd have in, in vacation Bible school, we have like sometimes 30, 40 kids in there. And uh, we would have, had a one little boy who would come and we would teach in class and we were going over different stories. And it came up at some point during that week. Uh, Luke 16, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And we had mentioned about heaven and hell to those kids, uh, hoping that they would get saved, but not not taking it so far as to try and terrify them. Uh, you know, but in, in trying to teach that in just the right way, we had uh, one kid that would come back and say, well, my mom and dad told me there's no such place as hell. That's a tough place to be because I, I don't want to come across as somebody who's going to contradict a kid's parents. But at the same time, I can't tell this kid his parents are right. Because eternity's at stake. So I would just give him scripture to go have him talk to his mom and dad about. And uh, he would come back. They would feed him another reason why what I said wasn't true. And it was like having an argument through their kid all week long. About him, them teaching their son that there was no place called hell. There was, evidently there is a heaven. And that's all well and good and fine. But evidently they didn't believe in that place called hell. The thing about that is, is what I'm talking about this morning. You can't just choose not to believe in something because you decide you don't like it. None of us like the concept of hell. It's a terrible thing. Let me tell you something. God doesn't like the concept of hell. The Bible tells us God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He doesn't like hell either. And yet it exists. The sound from heaven, things that come from heaven, they have that of the light, of the truth. They have that heavenly uh, aroma about them, if you will. Notice it said that the sound from heaven was like a rushing mighty wind. Notice it wasn't a literal rushing mighty wind, but it was as of a rushing mighty wind. This was a physical manifestation 
of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, this was the Holy Spirit. This rushing mighty wind, it was God. It was the Holy Spirit entering into that room in a very physical way. But each time, and this is important to understand about the Bible, each time that God manifests himself in a specific way, it teaches us something about him. And this is the same way, because how did the Holy Spirit choose to reveal himself here in chapter 2? As a what? As a rushing mighty wind, yeah. As a wind. Wind is something that moves and interacts within our world, but it cannot be seen. When we hear the wind, we don't actually hear the wind, do we? What we hear is the effects of the wind on, like, the tree as the leaves rustle. As uh, perhaps the whistling sound, the, the things around it make as they shape in a certain way. But those things aren't the actual wind making those sounds. It's the effect the wind has on our world. We can't touch the wind. We can't smell the wind, although sometimes you might think you can. What you're smelling is the wind carrying those particles with it. That's not the actual smell of the wind. Amen sometimes on that for sure. You can't taste the wind. You can't sense the wind in any of the five senses that we have as human beings. But we know it's there, don't we? The same is true about the Holy Spirit. We may not be able to see or hear the Holy Spirit, but like the wind, we can see the effects of the Holy Spirit interacting within our world. It's not always so obvious, like with the wind, but if you are looking for it, you'll see it. But notice it wasn't just a wind, was it? It was a rushing it was a mighty wind. A light breeze on a beautiful spring morning can be so relaxing. I had a great morning this morning. Let me tell you, I woke up, the alarm went off at 7 o'clock, and I got up, came in here, got some coffee, went outside, a little table outside to drink my coffee, and there was the best little morning breeze blowing through right then. Oh, man, that felt so good, and it stayed for several minutes. It stayed long enough for me to go out back and water my plants. stayed long enough for me to clean up a little bit back there and get back inside. It was a wonderful feeling morning this morning, just a little light breeze coming through. It's so relaxing, it's so refreshing, but on the opposite of that, a strong enough wind can cause enough damage to destroy entire buildings, can't it? It can be strong enough to lift cars, whole cars into the air. A strong enough wind can destroy everything in its path. A, uh, what do they call it? What was Katrina? A category, a category five hurricane? And look at what happened to New Orleans. Horrible, terrible thing. That's what wind can do. It can pick up water, carry with it, and turn it into something even stronger, like a hurricane. But that's wind. The water didn't do that by itself. 
That's the power wind can have. It can be relaxing, it can be refreshing, but it can also be incredibly destructive. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. Within the believer, it's a thing that brings refreshment. It's a thing that brings encouragement. It's a thing that brings peace. But if we set ourselves against the Holy Spirit, it can prove to be a mighty force to reckon with because it is God. This rushing mighty wind, notice what the Bible says about this rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. It filled all the house. The rushing mighty wind, which was the Holy Spirit manifested, is what filled the house. The Holy Spirit doesn't fill a place, but it can fill a person. It can even fill a group of believers. Ephesians 5.18 says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Notice there at the bottom of verse 18 uh, in Ephesians 5, the word spirit is capitalized. So we know we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And what we're talking about here is influences, right? That's what we're talking about. In the same way that alcohol can influence you to behave a certain way, so too can the Holy Spirit. That's what it's saying here. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. Don't allow uh, that alcoholism to... Uh, control your, dictate your actions, but allow the Holy Spirit to do that. So it is like a contrast to alcohol, that the Holy Spirit should be what uh, sort of dictates our actions, that we allow the Holy Spirit to move us and guide us along our Christian life. And that is what the Holy Spirit can do. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're just moving as we know the Lord wants us to. Uh, have you ever had a feeling deep inside of you as a believer that you just know what you're supposed to do? You just know the decision you're about to make is right? That's the Holy Spirit. That's being filled with the Holy Spirit and allowing that Holy Spirit to tell you, yes, you're doing the right thing. Continue to do this. Uh, in Acts chapter uh, 4, there's a story about Peter in verse 7. It says, and when they had set them in the midst, uh, this is, uh, I think it's Peter and John. Definitely Peter. But Peter and John uh, being stood before a council for healing a man. And so they set them in the midst of the council. They asked, by what power, by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, notice that, don't overlook it said unto them, ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined by the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you, uh, unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God hath raised from the dead, even by him does this, man, does this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved." 
Folks, that's Peter. Okay, can I remind you? That's Peter. The same Peter who, when Jesus was being beaten for his very sins, was cursing people out, trying to prove he wasn't a Christian. Who so openly denied Jesus, he went out and wept bitterly, the Bible says. And here he stands, putting his finger in the face of the high priest in the crowd in front of Pilate that was shouting, crucify him, crucify him. That same high priest, that's the one Peter's got his finger in his face going, you're the one who with wicked hands crucified and slain the blessed Savior, the Messiah Christ. Wow. That's like a new guy, right? What on earth happened? Remember what that phrase I told you not to forget? Right there in verse 8, filled with the Holy Ghost. That's what happened. He allowed the Holy Spirit to fill him and to use him. The same power is within each and every one of you and is always accessible should you choose to call upon it. As we continue reading, verse 3 says, There appeared unto them cloven tongues, like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. Right? So these are tongues. Uh, it's, it's a cloven tongue made out of fire hovering over each of their heads. Right? And I know the question you're all thinking. What? That's the question everybody's thinking. But each of these things, the cloven tongue represents something, and so does the fire. And we're going to go over that. Um, the cloven tongue represents the twofold nature of the Christian's use for their tongue. Okay, let me explain that. Because the first uh, use is for us to express our own thoughts and ideas. Right? And those thoughts and ideas ought to align with that which the Lord teaches us is right in our own eyes, but they are our own thoughts and our own ideas. You're speaking what's coming out of your own head. right? That's the first part of that cloven tongue. The second part is when the Holy Spirit uses our mouth to express the very thoughts and ideas of God. That's when you're speaking things that aren't necessarily your own thoughts or your own ideas. They're the things that are God's thoughts and they're God's ideas. Now, let me tell you something. Every time I stand up here to preach or to teach the Bible, it's not my own thoughts. It's not my own ideas. The first time I ever stood up to preach, let me tell you what I did. I said, Lord, I've got no clue what I'm doing. I don't know my head from a hole in the ground when it comes to preaching. I'm just going to stand up there. And I'll tell you what, if you will fill my mouth with words, I will just let you use my mouth. Almost like being possessed, but instead of being a p possessed by a demon, I wanted myself to be possessed by the Holy Spirit. Right, and that was the deal I made with God. And I stood up there, and for you guys who didn't know me before I was saved, I was a whole nother human being entirely. Uh, let me tell you, uh, I did not speak to my own family. We'd have Sunday dinner over there. Most of you have been to Sunday dinner. If you haven't, uh, it's about 20, 30 people in a house made for about eight or nine. And it's, it's a very large, loud, boisterous crowd, uh, sometimes very opinionated. 
and it gets loud and it gets crazy. And uh, Matthew would sit in the corner with his like phone or his Game Boy or something and wouldn't really talk. And the same thing was true when I went to church. Same thing was true when I went to school. I was the shy person. That was what I was known. That was my personality trait. That's how people knew me. Oh, Matt, that shy kid. Yeah, that was me. That was who I was. Uh, for, for those of you who know me now, that's kind of a hard thing. Even Amanda has a hard time believing that. She's like, I don't think you were that bad. I was that bad. Because now I'll go into restaurants wearing big blue wigs and stuff, and it's it's a little different for me now. But i tell you what happened was I stood up there that day, and everybody in that church knew me because I grew up in that church. And so even my mom tells – when she tells the story, she said she was fully expecting to try to – to, to tell me to speak up a little bit because people wouldn't be able to hear me. And then I opened my mouth and it was as though somebody completely different entirely was speaking through me. Like it wasn't shy Matthew, right? It was somebody else. Let me tell you, it was somebody else and it has continued to be somebody else. And I'm sure any of you guys who have taught even the children, if you, you've spoken about something, uh, that you just you just felt some sort of special energy about that. That's the Holy Spirit. That God is filling you with His words and speaking through you. A cloven tongue, because sometimes, most of the time, it's your tongue, but every once in a while, it's God's tongue, right? The cloven tongue. Second Samuel twenty-three uh, verse one says, "Now these be the last words of David." David, the son of Jesse, said, and the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel, said, the spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. Second Peter 1.21 says, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And here in just a couple of verses, you see there in verse 4, it says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak. Uh, uh, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. When you don't have the words, you allow yourself to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and God will give you the words. That's not just true for preachers. That's true for anybody. Now, that's the cloven tongue part of it, and that kind of makes sense, right? But what about the fire? Why is it made out of fire? This is my guess, okay? I think it's a, a reference to an Old Testament story out of the book of Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah is praying to God, and he says, O oh Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. For since I spake, I cried out. I cried violence and spoil, because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me. And a derision daily, you know, that is what happens when someone who is regularly speaking the word of God becomes discouraged and depressed. That begins to bleed into their ministering. 
After a while, they speak violence and they speak spoil because the word of God has made a reproach to them. They're bitter and angry preachers because they're bitter and angry Christians. Then verse 9, he says, Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. He was done. I'm not preaching anymore. It's like uh, that, that, uh, that second Spider-Man movie. I'm putting the spider suit in the trash can. I'm walking away. But, just like Tobey Maguire, his word was in my heart, notice these next few words, as a burning fire, shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. There was a fire within him that the word of God, the words he was meant to speak, welled up within him like a fire building within his heart. And he couldn't keep it inside. And he bespewed the words of God once more like a dragon would breathe fire out of its mouth. But it speaks very specifically about the words that God gives, the words that come from the Holy Spirit being a thing of fire. And that is the cloven tongue of fire. When God speaks through us, when we have this Holy Spirit cloven tongue of fire, it is a thing of passion. You know, have you ever heard, and I know we all have those preachers who read the Bible like a stenographer reading back a quote in a, in a, in a court case. You know, like, some, like an accountant reading off numbers from the book. You know, they'll get up here and they'll say, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly I'm like, brother, they don't have enough coffee for that kind of thing. You got to get some energy going. You know what I mean? It's like I'm sitting here. I, you know, woke up at three o'clock. I didn't this morning, but you know, sometimes parents waking up at three o'clock in the morning, cleaning up vomit off their kids, and coming in and trying to get everybody dressed and ready. And they're getting up at like seven thirty, eight o'clock, trying to get everything going on a weekend, on a Sunday morning, trying to come into church and do the right thing and be in church. And you're sitting there reading the Bible like that. No wonder they're falling asleep over there. We're to read this like we're reading something exciting. You know, don't just read it to get through it. Like this is one of the single most amazing events in human history. Our maker, our creator, our God infused himself within our very soul. That's an incredible thing. And we ought to look at this and see what happened and how it happened and how we can, how we can allow the Holy Spirit to infuse his power in our life. It's an incredible thing. And then it says they began to speak in other tongues. And this is the last thing we'll mention this morning before being done. Um, In the Bible, most of the time, the word tongues means languages. Okay? It means languages, like it does here. They weren't speaking gibberish while the Holy Spirit translated. You ever been to one of these uh, uh, churches? Where they speak in tongues? If somebody want to explain to them that a tongue is a language, 
It's not Peter standing up and going. I feel like that's a scene from like a Jim Carrey movie or something. What are you doing up there, brother? You know, it's a little silly. They're speaking their own. What have, the miracle here was they were speaking their own language. Peter was speaking the common tongue, right? But each and every one of those men were hearing in their own native language, right? So let me explain to you the error of these uh, evangelical churches, these churches with the speaking of tongues. The miracle wasn't taking place within the tongue. The miracle was taking place within the ear, right? The miracle wasn't taking place with the speaker. The miracle was taking place within the listener, they were hearing it in their own language. Notice what it said there, that they spoke and other men heard in their own languages. Um, in verse 6 there, when they came together, were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Prophecies stop because we have a completed Bible and we don't need prophets anymore. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. This miracle stops. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. But notice one of the things that the Holy Spirit enables us to do that is the single most powerful thing a Christian can do. Charity. You know what charity is? And I say this every time I go to marry a couple. Charity is love in action. Now, when we think about charity, we think about donating money to a charity. Right? Some sort of a nonprofit organization who does some very good work we believe in and we give some money to it. That's charity. That's not charity. That is being charitable, but that is not what charity is. Charity is expressing the feeling of love you have towards somebody in a physical way. Doing something kind for somebody else because you care about them. Doing something for somebody else, even if it costs you personally, because you just want to because you love that person. That's charity. And that is the single greatest power that the Holy Spirit gives us. Greater than all the physical things we see the Holy Spirit do. In the, Holy, in the Bible, we see the Holy Spirit uh, curing people of poison when they get bitten by snakes. We see the Holy Spirit casting out demons, healing sicknesses. We see the Holy Spirit allowing people to speak in tongues. We see all kinds of amazing gifts the Holy Spirit gives people in the New Testament Bible times. But the greatest gift he gives us is the ability to love and to express that love in our charity, in our giving to others and showing the world the love of Christ. Well, I have gone very much past my time this morning. I apologize. We will be back at about 10 after for the Sunday morning service. Thank you guys so much for being here, and we will see you then.